welcome to Inside Remote Podcast, where we share stories from expert remote workers and remote companies who are building new era of distributed work. Hey everybody, welcome to the first episode of Inside Remote. Today I'm talking with my friend and even a better person, Miha Rekar. Miha is really an all-star. You will find him running marathons, shooting pics on stage with your favorite band and even having a podcast while being an engineering lead. Amazing, right? In this episode, we will talk about everyday life of remote manager, how stoicism can make you a better person and how processes matter more than tools. Tune in and enjoy the very first episode of Inside Remote. Hi, Miha. Welcome to the show. I'm really happy to have you as a first guest since you were a part of an inspiration of why I started this podcast. Yeah, happy, happy to be here. To introduce you to our listeners, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I have a podcast, <laughs> which is why you probably uh, were inspired to make a podcast as well. Um, it seems like nowadays everyone has a podcast, but that's good. Uh, I think more people should do it because it's fun. It's fun to produce. It's fun to talk to people. So yeah, I have a podcast called Parallel Passion. Uh, I talk about, um, well, I talk with engineers about their hobbies. So uh, it's, it's interesting because every episode is completely different. Um, other than that, I work remotely uh, for, I think, about six years now um, for four different companies. Um, currently, I'm working for a Belgian startup uh, in the accounting space. Um, so, yeah, I guess we can go deeper into into that if you want. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that's... Uh, a good intro <laughs> <laughs> of course yeah um so i, I read about on your on your website uh, you have that you also uh, are um a marathon runner is that correct and also a photographer yeah. can you tell us a little bit more about it yes yeah. oh yeah yeah sure um well i do run a lot uh i started running like five years ago um because uh one of the things when you're working remotely is that um, you sort of st- stop moving, and then I just I uh, were I was getting fat, uh, so, <laughs> so that's why okay I I decided I have to pick up a hobby, uh, and I don't like fitness because I don't like to be indoors, uh, so I started running because you really don't need much to start running. You just need sneakers, a t-shirt, and pants, and off you go. Um, and yeah, I've, I've ran, I think, five marathons now. Um, I mostly run every day, at least when I'm working. Uh, for me, it's like um, instead of a commute. So most of people uh, that, at least in Slovenia, that work have like around 30 minutes commute to work. So that's like one hour a day. And I use that hour uh, that would otherwise be used as commute time to run. Um, and that uh, maintains my both physical and mental health. Um, so yeah, highly, highly recommend it if you're a remote worker. <laughs> yeah, it sounds exciting. And how do you do it? It's like on, on the days which are like rainy or you don't feel uh, really in the best mood to run, you still go or you you um, delay it for another day or so? Um, there's a really good thing a friend, a runner of mine said to me is like, um, whenever you don't feel like running, go like dress up go run for like one or two kilometers and if you still don't feel like running turn around and go home and you will never turn around because the the hard part is just to get going and once you are out like yeah sure the first five minutes might be annoying because you get wet and all that but then you just yeah you don't care because you just go 
Oh, that's great to hear. Yeah. Um, so uh, I suppose you're like in pretty good shape right now, uh, running almost every day. Uh, yeah, well, definitely better than I was five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, you, you're you working for a Belgian startup, is that correct, right? Yeah, yeah, Silverfin. And uh, you're an engineer manager over there, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, so what I'm interested about is how, how did you become a manager? Is I actually started uh, in a previous company. I worked for an American startup um, called TopTal, uh, which is um, like I, I joined pretty early, um, considering how fast it grown, and uh, because we were growing fast, and because a lot of engineers were coming in that team, I was given a chance to lead a team, and uh, I also studied management, so I was. Um, interested and like sort of offered myself uh, that at least I would like to try it um, and it uh, turned out pretty well I liked it uh, I liked the job a lot uh, so after I resigned um, after the initial like um, getting back to sanity uh, when I was looking for a job I uh, I was looking for something in um, in this space uh, but I the way I am an engineering manager or a team lead or whatever you want to call it is um, like very much that I still am actively a software developer. So it's not a, it's not a 100%. I, all I do is manage teams. Like I, I don't, I don't want to do that. How, how was your transition from going uh, from a contributor to a manager? Like how, how did that feel like for the first, let's say few months uh, and what were the lessons? It's so hard to remember, to be honest. Um, like I said, I, I studied uh, management, uh, like uh, IT management specifically, and I was always interested in that role and I was always interested in uh, business and uh, entrepreneurship and all that. Uh, my parents have a small business as well. Um, so I was always sort of familiar with, with that space and I always wanted to try it out. I always wanted to... Um, have an like have a small team uh, where I would be um, delegating or not just delegating, like working together with a team. Even you know um, when you remember in like high school or faculty or whatever, when you have those um, mm -hmm. uh, assignments that you have to do together with a team, um, I always enjoyed leading those, and um, I, I think it was sort of natural. Um, maybe some some signs some kind of skills i have that i'm pretty good with uh, uh i don't know getting people to work together most of the time <laughs> anyway <laughs> sure and um how do you like you, you said that you're not a full-time manager you still produce stuff you're still a maker right and how do you yeah. um how do you balance this uh what how to say makers versus manager uh time um how, how do you do that I try to be as um, uh, off uh, offhand manager as possible. I think one of the good things about remote teams is that mostly you work with really talented individuals who are able to self-manage, which makes a manager's job really easy. It's just about, um, it's, it's more about deciding where are we going than how to get there. So. If you have a good enough team and you have uh, like reasonable and clear enough goals, and you trust in people, um, that's like they will get you there. 
So that's uh, that's sort of my management style. I I, um, I really trust my my team members to do what they have to do, and like most of the times, they they absolutely do it. And when they don't, yeah, these are these are the times when you really have to like um, when being a manager is a bit more challenging. But yeah, so so far I was uh, pretty much always really lucky with the uh, with the members I I was given. Oh, that's nice to hear. So, uh, how big of a team do you lead? Um, well, it's four of us turning five next week. Uh, All right. And uh, this is now and before. Uh, I don't know. It was every everywhere from five to thirteen. I think was the the maximum. Like for remote work, there's a lot of uh, discussion about whether you can have, let's say, junior or more inexperienced members on the team. Uh, would you say that the members you have are more uh, leaning towards senior seniority, or you also have some junior or like mid-level uh, engineers in your team? Yeah, um, there are more senior leaning. Um... I have maybe one person that's maybe somewhere between mid and then senior. Um, and I, you know, the thing about seniority is that it's really hard to define. Like, um, I would prefer to have a better communicator. So if I have to have a, a balance between someone that's a great engineer and or, uh, or a great communicator, I will choose a great communicator for remote work. That's more important than the pure engineering skills. Um, so that kind of seniority and that kind of experience is what's, at least in my uh, uh, experiences so far, m- more important. And yeah, remote work is all about communication. Um, and uh, yeah. yeah, it's uh, also very interesting to hear um, because a lot of times when you read about um, remote work or just like uh, a, a certain position, the most important things are your domain knowledge. Um, but for remote work, communication is a very important aspect. And still, people don't yet find that many, I'd say, instructions or um, content on how to become a better communicator. Like, there are not that many companies teaching that. Uh, how do you basically help people become better communicator? Or how would you advise people to get better at communication? especially if they want to break into remote work. Yeah, like everything, it's a skill that you have to build. Um, I like I have a couple of um, articles that I sometimes share or um, if there's a good book I read, I, I like to share it. Um, there's also like working remotely, you're more, more likely to be exposed to um, different cultures uh, that you may not be familiar with. For example, developers from South America are um, acting f- like will read the same sentence uh, very differently than develop- developers from like Eastern Europe. Um, and uh, just figuring that out um, can be very painful if you're not aware that this is happening. So I don't know if I have like uh, some particular thing that I can say, oh, just do that. Like there's like, there's no silver bullet, um, but w- yeah, one of the thing is just to be aware of that. And um, as always with communication, especially remotely, um, especially in chat, 
you always have to assume the best intentions. Like you have to assume that people on the other side are not mean. They're not trying to say something mean. They're trying to help you out. And even if they write a sentence that could be read uh, in a way that they're mean, they probably did not intend it like that. And um, uh, but yeah, it's you know it's it's possible. <laughs> it's it's certainly possible. And in those cases, uh, uh, like one on ones uh, are always better than just communicating in, in group chat, preferably video call, um, just to see um, expressions, facial expressions are, uh, are a huge part of communication. Mm -hmm. And that is complete, completely lost in uh, chat. Like we don't have that. Sure, you have emojis, but even emojis can be read completely differently by different people. For sure. And when you do meetings, um, you usually do it like video only, or you also do audio. How do you, how do you, uh, how does it convince your team members to do video chat? Yeah, one-on-ones, um, we do uh, video and audio. I mean, <laughs> video only, that would be, <laughs> that would be uh, hard. Um, but yeah, yeah, we, we do one-on-ones with you with video, um, unless some special circumstances. I don't know, someone um, is like on a really poor connection or something. That's like, you know, mm -hmm. sure. Um, but otherwise, yeah, we always try to do it with video calls. Um, group chats also, we try to do it uh, when when there's something, like when we're, I don't know, pairing or something like that. We try to use video as well. Um, it's just, I think, more relaxing, um, especially after you've met your coworkers. Um, in the beginning, I can imagine it can be quite intimidating when you don't know the people. Uh, especially if you join like a, a big company like TopTel, you come there and there's like 150 engineers in Slack channel, and half of them are named Sergey. So <laughs> you have no idea who you're talking to and like who who is this Sergey. Um, so that can yeah that can definitely be uh, intimidating uh, starting in a in a company like that. Yeah, I can totally imagine that and. Uh, uh... For example, you mentioned that you're going to have a new member of the team joining you, yep. and remote uh, in remote work, there's a little bit of uh, it's harder to onboard people, um, I suppose, since you're not on site. And how do you, how do you manage that, like onboarding a certain person on your team? Well. Good thing about this person is that he is my referral, so I already know him. Uh, this will um, like make things much easier. Uh, but as for uh, onboarding itself, we have uh, we have a document uh, with pretty much everything that like uh, a newbie, for a lack of better term, uh, should know coming in our code base. And then we also schedule, uh, so we have a, a couple of uh, video recordings of certain parts of the uh, of the code base um, explained by the people who mainly wrote it or like who have the most knowledge about it. And uh, so we provide those videos for uh, new members to watch. And afterwards, they have a one-on-one -on -one call with that person for any clarifications or questions they might have. Um, and uh, we try to encourage pairing as well um, in, in those kind of things. Um, and pairing help, helps a lot, but um, it is sometimes hard to organize and some people don't respond very well to it. So in those cases, you, you have to, like, I don't know, find something else that works for that particular person. Mm -hmm. yeah. Can you elaborate on that part? 
Yeah, like uh, there, are, there are some people who are um, very uncomfortable pairing. Who um, and it's it's not just that um, you know the beginning obstacles some people have mm-hmm. that you're just like you you feel you have the imposter syndrome. You feel you're not good enough, and there, therefore you're afraid to wake, to make mistakes. Uh, especially when other senior members are watching, that's that's certainly one case. But even across that, I've had great engineers who just don't like pairing because for them it's uh, it's it's not a relaxing or like knowledgeable environment. They just get more distracted and um, more uh, I don't know. Um, they make more mistakes and really don't learn anything because they're very nervous. And in in those cases, then you have to go to something else that works for them. For example, uh, async. Um, you you have them do like a um, a small ticket, and then after a while, you check in with them and ask for questions, any uh, clarifications they might need, or anything like that. So yeah, it it comes down to person to person basis. Uh, luckily, we're not hiring um, crazy fast like we were in Toptal, and um, like and there we had a we had a different kind of uh, onboarding. Yeah, interesting. As uh, you're mentioning, uh, like understanding people and what what do they prefer and uh, what uh, what what they can uh, is harder for them to work with or what kind of style uh, of uh, communication they prefer. And um, one thing which I read just today is about the psychological safety uh, in, in the remote team as, uh, as uh, one of the important parts. And when reading also about Google's um, uh, tests they made uh, about which teams are best performing and one of the basic ingredients of that uh, um, of that group was also the psychological safety of the group. So the team members were able to challenge each other, uh, express their opinions. Is this something you, you as a manager, uh, had ever had an issue with uh, in your teams you managed? Um, yeah, there's a... Certainly happens when you have unbalanced team or when you have a newcomer. Um, this can be, uh, like I said, the, it was also a bit my experience, but luckily the team wasn't that big then. But um, joining a, a big team and established team where everyone already knows each other and there's a lot of like um, internal jokes and internal discussions that you have absolutely no idea what they're about, that can be very intimidating. And um, that can like push you outwards instead of inwards. Um, and you sort of distance yourself even further. Um, so that's why uh, onboarding is not or should not be just about uh, code base and like understanding the product and uh, like what it is that we're actually doing, how we're making money, all of that. That like certainly very important, but I think even more important is to uh, have a good feeling about the team. Have a nice introduction with everyone. Try to make like the uh, newcomer as comfortable as possible. Um, and uh, one of the things that work really well are uh, get-togethers. So in this uh, company, we do it uh, twice a year. Everyone gets together, and we are together for a week. That uh, helps a lot. Has a very very positive effect on the on the team. Um, so yeah. Uh, that's highly recommended. <laughs> um, another thing that we did in, in uh, Toptal was that like um, we met at every conference. So whenever there were 
Ruby conferences because we were a Ruby shop or any other conferences that people were interested in, we sort of went together on those and we met there. And, you know, there's a lot of a lot to be said about uh, informality to building like actual friendships with um, with people, with coworkers. It improves collaboration. It improves um, just overall satisfaction, I think, as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that certainly makes sense. And also, um, even working remotely, it's always uh, good to meet in person. And uh, yeah, um, yeah, a lot of barriers get uh, <laughs> uh, get down when uh, when you meet in person. And uh, mm-hmm. well, for sure, yeah. yeah. Um, so um, to get back at starting to be a manager um what what interests me is uh and if you could share with our audience what what do you think are the biggest uh problems fresh managers tackle and what what would be your advice uh for for fresh managers um it's it's really hard to say i think it comes down to yeah to what interests you uh, as a as a person like whether you even want to be a manager um it it comes down to what kind of personality you are um like certainly can have someone as a manager who is very i don't know explosive or like um uh, i don't know it's hard to say because it also depends on the on the company like it's it, you know there are a lot of stereotypes of people like i don't know steve jobs Elon <laughs> musk all of those who are like you know, with all circumstances like yeah they've been great managers but not because the kind of person they were uh, but some people take the wrong conclusion that's like oh yeah the only way to be a good manager is to be an asshole to absolutely everyone well no <laughs> that that won't work i like in case of steve jobs and elon musk both of them are like extreme visionaries and just like being that kind of person um, is what drives people, not them being an asshole. Um, if they would be kinder, nicer, it, like maybe they would be even better. It's hard to say. Uh, so yeah, even even that question, I, I'm, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry, but I don't really know how to how to answer it. Yeah, uh, no worries. The reason why I asked you is I see a lot of people um, um, starting to get promoted uh, into a managerial position after a few years of experience as they. No, let's say yeah, they have the best domain knowledge about a certain topic, or they show a tendency they can uh, lead people. However, what I also often see is, uh, as in my case, when I became a product manager and started leading teams, is how do you learn on how to manage? Like, for example, I learned a lot on my mistakes uh, managing people, and um, I was just thinking on on how to help fresh managers, especially remote managers learn better when they start their job as it's uh, really hard for them you know and uh, since you don't have an in-person mm-hmm. interaction it's even harder uh, and your mistakes have an even bigger impact uh, once you do it remote right yeah yeah i i think um as with uh, development it's the same with uh, team leadership or whatever other position having a great mentor is crucial having someone you can ask and that's good at their job and that they know what they're doing and that they are willing to help, that's a, that's a great thing. And pretty much every company, at least in, in my experience, when they promote someone, they uh, or not not even promote, just like when, when they push someone onto like managerial position, 
um, there are people that they that are on the same level that they could ask, or at least they have, I don't know, CEO, like depends on the size of the corporation. But there is one, at least one person they can ask for advice. And what I suggest is that you take use of that as much as possible and even schedule like a regular one-on-ones with that person. Uh, and you just like, um, even now, so when I started this uh, company, I was I started as an engineer, which was my wish as well to just be first familiar with the processes and other people, and only then be promoted to uh, to a manager. And like I still keep on uh, like a regular one on one with my previous team lead, um, and like where whereas before it was more like uh, team leader to a member, now it's like team leader to team leader. And I have a document open in uh, one of my note taking tools. Um, and I just write down everything that um, pops up to my mind that I would like to discuss. And on, and on those like uh, one-on-ones, we go through that. And he sort of does the same. And then, you know, it's it's a learning experience for both of us. And, and we can discuss things uh, that uh, otherwise would be very, I don't know, hard to discuss with, with anyone else because they don't know the, the people uh, I have um, in my teams and, and like he does. Uh, so yeah, mentorship I think is a very important thing. Having someone you can ask, uh, even outside your own company, can be like very beneficial. Um, just someone who has similar experience or went uh, who went through the same stuff, they can help a lot. So yeah, mentors always. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, uh, very helpful advice. Yeah, definitely having a mentor who can help you uh, out with. And, you know, you can always just reach out to people. Um, a lot of people, uh, even if there is someone that you really look up to and is in a similar position that you are in, like, don't be afraid to email them. And if they don't have time, they might recommend someone else who does or who would be interested in, in something like that. So, yeah, try to try to ask, even if you're not the kind of person who asks uh, other people for favors, try to push yourself to, to do that thing because it will help you um, like in in the immediate uh, time, like in the present and also in, in the future to have someone you can ask questions. Well, yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, emailing people you, you like is definitely under uh, undervalued. A lot of people have uh, issues of reaching out mm-hmm. to somebody they like. And they don't do it, but uh, yeah, it's very interesting to see the ratio of how many people respond and like to help. Uh, it's uh, very surprising. Uh, I hear like a lot of uh, good yeah. stories. And about like, it. I'm not saying right to Elon Musk, like he probably won't reply, but uh, but you can find people <laughs> um, like in, in your immediate environment or like a friend of a friend or uh, someone who's in a similar job. You can probably even go through LinkedIn, although I don't know how. Um, successful that would be but you know if you find someone then also go through extra steps to find their actual personal email address it's not that hard like we are online where everyone has all the data online um it's just you have to put in some work and usually it's worth it oh yeah for sure uh yeah and yeah i think even elon would respond if you're building that big of a company like he is uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it totally makes sense uh, to find some somebody in similar position like so if you're leading 10 people yeah find somebody who has similar skills or a similar experience um definitely gonna 
like to help a lot of them at least like you said they're gonna redirect you to uh, to a good source mm-hmm. or another person so yeah i've uh, searched through different topics about what makes good teams and one of the topics i found out is uh, building trust in your team and i'm wondering how do you do that like um and uh, why this question pops to my mind is i was listening to uh, an interesting debate uh, between uh, companies who are working on site and um, and uh, companies who are working uh, remote pattern got out from the from the conversation as um like people who are working on site, they said, yeah, how can you trust a person that they really do their job or they put enough hours inside? It's easy to do that when they're in, uh, in the office. Yeah, it's not. That's a, that's a thing. It's a common misconception. It's not. Like someone can be right in front of your eyes and be slacking off the whole day. Um, I, I think I mentioned it previously, and if I didn't, yeah, trust is a huge, huge part of um, working remotely. And it's it goes both ways, right? It's not uh, it's not one way street. Uh, trust has to be both ways. Um, and uh, even when you're hiring uh, hiring people, you can trust uh, is I think it's very hard, of course, to select for trustworthy people. But it's the it's the most important thing, uh, especially working remotely. Because, like I said, in my team, I can trust my members that they will do their work. I don't. I don't time track them. I never check when they're online. Um, if if there would be a feature on Slack not to show online status, I would use it. Uh, like that, that no one sees anyone's <laughs> online status because, um, yeah, usually that green dot is just like, oh, ping me, I'm here, and then people just start talking bullshit. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I very much agree with you on this topic, and it was very interesting to see as um, I. Like from that conversation, I figured out that mostly the remote teams have much uh, better set processes and and trust than the on-site uh, companies. Like on average, I'd say, um, as you said, yeah, it's like it's a common misconception. People thinking, oh, so if somebody is in office and I see them come in, they're doing their hard work, yeah. you know, but they're not measuring an impact as you are probably doing uh, when when you. Uh, yeah. work remotely and especially if you work asynchronous yeah, yeah. right um yeah and uh how do you detect they're not uh they're not performing well or you know th- did it happen anytime to you that you know you you lost the trust in a certain team member and how yeah, did you go definitely that? happen um so what you try to do is uh you try to have uh, as honest of uh one-on-one as you can um um, if like uh, if it coincides that you can do it in person, even better, um, and let them do the talking. Try to pose open-ended questions. Try to figure out what the actual problem is, because like that the the reason they're not performing. Um, I mean, it's it's never uh, the cause. Uh, it's never the root cause. You you have to find what the root cause is. Like one of the examples I can remember. Um, was uh, one person that I was really dissatisfied with his performance. Like when he joined, it was great. And then like it started dropping dramatically. And um, I I had like a, a short call with him and he was like, oh, yeah, sort of avoiding questions, whatever. And I knew that I will be seeing him in uh, two weeks in person. 
so I just I was like, just like okay, like we're gonna go for a coffee or something, and then we went, and I think we were talking for I don't know two three hours, whatever. Um, and uh, I, I discovered that like his uh, girlfriend left him; uh, he was kicked out of the apartment. Uh, her, I think his father or mother, I'm not sure anymore. I don't remember correctly, but someone got really sick. So like the whole world around him collapsed. Like no wonder he was like not performing well. So the problem there was that he was not comfortable sharing that with me as, as his team uh, leader because uh, in his previous experience, he had a really tyrannical team leader. Um, so the trust did not flow uh, in, in my direction. So he did not trust me. And uh, that's why he didn't tell me. But like once we got together, we we got talking uh, and everything got cleared up. Like, yeah, everything made sense then. And uh, I don't know, two, three weeks after that, when everything settled down, uh, his productivity increased again. So did uh, his trust and um, like everything sort of resolved itself. So um, the that someone is like decreasing in productivity or not working well, there there are almost always um some reasons some root causes around that and you have to find those um and yeah the the best way is in person and the second best is uh, video one on one yeah uh, you you have to you have to trust and um I, oh, I mean it's not blind trust um you you see uh, how much work they do but you don't know whether they did that work in i don't know 4 hours or 6 hours or 8 hours um, that you know, um, but even in person, you can't judge that because someone could just be on Facebook like six hours and then do everything in two hours. I mean, there are there are you know those stories that always circle around how there is like this uh, one guy working from an office, but in reality there was like three Chinese people working for him, and everyone thought he was working, but he was basically just playing video games all day in the office. So just because you see the person does not mean that they're doing the work anymore that like um, me seeing that green dot on Slack. It's just, yeah, they, they have uh, Slack open. That's all I can tell. <laughs> doesn't mean they're actually working. And what, what in, in your view, like, uh, or in your experience, uh, are the biggest issues uh, with managing remote people? Mm, uh, I don't know. I I don't even know if it's, anything specific to remote work. Um, managing people is an issue in itself because people, we are flawed. We are flawed as a concept. Um, everyone has their own stuff. Um, so, I, yeah, I think just being, um, just trusting your members, being compassionate, uh, trying to put yourselves in, in their shoes, trying to understand their struggles, um, their everyday struggles. Um, and then like try to reason that and try to set expectations and like push them through that not through like force or or anything like that but i know all of those things it it comes down to what kind of management style you you want to have and uh, and you know there's been thousands of books written on the topic so um i don't know pick one that suits you and and, and go with that i guess Mm-hmm. And do you have any um, recommendation or um, idea on how, like, how should, should people um, figure out what kind of style of leadership they have? Like, let's say, how how do you figure out what kind of style of leadership you have? Like, as a 
early manager? Uh, it's I don't know. It's hard to say. Like I was I was never um, sort of a tyrannical person or anyone that was like really. Um, it's even hard to find the words. Like I I know um, I am like I'm not a micromanager. I hate people who are. I don't work well under micromanagers. I don't think anyone does. Um, and so, yeah, if, if there's one thing you, you want to avoid is being a micromanager. Um, as for actual styles, I don't know. Um, it's I've, it's also hard for me to say because I was exposed through the stuff, through, through the faculty, through reading a lot of books, uh, most of which I forgot the titles of. Um, it's and a lot of it is just comes from experience. Uh, you you sort of see what works and what doesn't, and then you see that certain things work for certain people and they don't work for other people. Um, the, where there's like bigger things like uh, uh, culture on the scale of a country or whatever, where the region they're living in, and then there's cultural uh, and then there's other like personality traits. Uh, some people respond to threats some people respond to threats really badly uh some people um like respond to treats and like giving them a a carrot and a stick or whatever um but yeah i i don't think rewards work but that's another topic <laughs> that we can dive <laughs> into um so yeah, i i don't know I, it's really hard for me to say anything specific because I'm I'm also not following anything by the book. I just sort of trust my senses. And I know this sounds like a non-answer, but it's sort of how it is. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, completely understandable, especially if uh, this is something which you grew up with. And, uh, you know, as you, as you mentioned, uh, through even elementary and high school, uh, you were always like some kind of a leader or or leading groups yeah, so it yeah. becomes more natural than to other people for example but like you mentioned there's a lot of people who never were never were in those positions and um yeah they started and they like maybe so certain people learn a lot on their mistakes and there's also ones who like do their excellent like do an excellent job mm-hmm. um being being managers yeah so yeah. and there's another thing that i wanted to to say is that it's nothing bad if you don't want to be a manager you can be a, a individual contributor and be worth even more i think a lot of companies especially in the it space are doing the mistake of promoting their best developers to managers where they're like engineers i mean they can be incredible engineers but that does not mean that they will make a good manager uh, you don't promote a surgeon to be uh, director of a hospital. Like you, you make him a head surgeon, and this is, I think, what companies need to need to do. Like if someone is an exceptional engineer and they don't want to be a manager or do not work well as a manager, make them an individual contributor. Make them like an or chief architect or, or something that will fulfill their engineering role and not necessarily management role. Mm-hmm. And this is also, I think, connected uh, with. A flawed, uh, how to say, plan of promotion or hierarchy mm-hmm. in the in the company, as like the compensation is tied to the managerial uh, role. So it's like yeah. you know, yeah. you can be a senior developer or an architect, but even that, you you get a lower salary than when you're like a team lead, which is flawed. Like you said, you, you like as an architect, you might have even a bigger impact than somebody who who leads a team. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that's the thing, like. Um, 
you have to like that the company has to have um it's it's not just managerial track there also has to be like uh, individual contributor track um for um for people i think i read that in either lost and founder or effective effective executive i'm not sure because i just read both books and one of those talks about that um and uh it's uh yeah it's a it's a, it's a pretty um good thing that like, yeah the, the only way to get promoted should not be just a managerial track there should all, also be like individual contributor track and there's also a talk, uh, like a very provocative uh, topic about, um, for example, like when you read a, a read a lot from remote teams, uh, everybody says you know you you should measure the impact, uh, not the not the position or you know the hours somebody puts in. So, what do you think about the topic that people would get paid by impact as like? Obviously, you know, if you're an architect or have uh, like important position and you bring a lot, you might be even more, you know, valued or you bring much more than somebody else. H- how would you manage this uh, uh, this issue? Or for example, you have two senior engineers, but somebody is doing like three X the work, you know, it's, yeah. uh, because you, you, you don't need to work uh, more hours, like three times more hours. You can just be more impactful and uh, find better mm-hmm. paths in those eight hours you work how, how yeah, yeah absolutely the, the problem is it's very hard to measure impact because um every engineer knows uh that sometimes something looks like it, it will take two hours but then it takes two weeks and the opposite uh is rarely true when something looks like two weeks you rarely get it done in, in two hours no matter how good of an engineer you are um, but of course there are differences between some people some people are just better and they should be rewarded for that in in some way um Mm -hmm. but it's very hard to to measure impact uh you only have like averages and uh, you you can get something out of that but then again you might have an engineer who just likes to solve harder problems and that's why they take the harder tickets whereas someone who really likes to do small stuff picks up small stuff and if you just measure number of tickets they do like it's not a it's not the accurate predictor of how good of an engineer someone is. And then you can also say like, oh, like I improved this button and because of that we have like, I don't know, 10x uh, conversion and that's why I should make like way more money than someone that does um, backend work. And yeah, sure, you can go down that path, but I don't know. Uh, I think sooner or later it becomes very hard to define whose uh, work it really is that makes the that makes a difference. And um, it's... It's a great idea in theory, uh, very hard to execute in, uh, in in practice. It makes sense, right? Like somebody who makes the biggest impact should be more uh, most rewarded. As usually it comes to the, let's say, type A players uh, or somebody who's really good at something, you know, um, and sometimes they get this, uh, uh, how to say, uh, they figure out they're in, in the position let's say that they get compensated the same as somebody who's not that good as them, you know, and they don't get promoted and there's no more path or they're blocked to like, as they don't, don't want to become a manager or somebody. Yeah. Um, and they just feel they blocked and they leave a company, which is a shame. Yeah. Well, what, what they should do is discuss it with their team lead or the CTO or CEO or whoever is responsible for putting that drags there and um make make a case but you know it's it's 
the world is not fair. Um, it will never be. Um, it's just the way it is. Your salary is dependent. Like it's an unfortunate truth, but your salary depends more on your negotiating skills than it does on your actual um, performance. Um, it's it's just how it is. So um, try to improve your negotiation skills. It won't only help with your salary, but overall life, I, I think, and just satisfaction with life. Um, to have to have good negotiation skills, I think, is a crucial skill to have. Would you recommend any articles or anything to read to yeah. learn how to negotiate? As yeah. I think mostly people who are in tech are not good negotiators, apart from salespeople. <laughs> there's a there's a great book, Never Split the Difference. It's by Chris Voss. Okay, um, he's an ex FBI negotiator. And he talks about some tactics and also um, shows examples of, of, of them. It's written in a, like a very American way, uh, you know, uh, as an FBI negotiator would write it. But it's um, it's a good read that it exposes you to some things and some methods. And you recognize uh, that uh, countermeasures that other people use. And you're like, ah, so that's what they did there. Um, and... Uh, it's it's good to just be familiar with the the methods that can work against you. Mm -hmm. And like, how do you measure output of your team? How do you, how do you do that? It's very hard, I suppose. But yeah. what are the techniques you use? You know, figuring out whether you're on track, whether you're behind, whether you oh, can do a better job. You're always behind. That's that's it. Um, you, you will <laughs> just always be behind schedule. Um, it's just a reality. Um, so uh, we we don't uh, use anything uh, specific, um, and I've I've tried plenty of things, and uh, it's more more the times it didn't work than it did. Um, be, because again, the kind of things we're doing is so hard to compare one thing to another. Um, that uh, at the end of the day, it's really hard to tell whether you just forgot to um, estimate something that, because like you are not familiar with with that part, um, not familiar enough, or if someone is slacking. But over time, it's just yeah, the law. I don't know the averages and just uh, the the kind of feeling you you have of a person, and also you know discuss this with other members. What do they see about the um, um, about their co-members, like what do they feel? Because you know everyone has an opinion. Doesn't mean they're correct, but like uh, if you have uh, four opinions of other people, it's definitely better than just your own. Uh, so try to fish out uh, as as many uh, opinions or facts. Facts are even better, but <laughs> it's it's hard to do facts here. So it's just yeah, opinion and feelings about other people. So you're basically mitigating the polarized opinion uh, just by getting more opinions on the same topic from other people who are involved so you can minimize the risk of yeah. getting the yeah. uh, wrong decision out. Yeah, and you come back to trust. You, you, tr you trust people that they want to work and that they want to like do good work. Um, so when they're not, you have to ask like, what's preventing you to do to do well how can i improve things what can i provide to you that will improve your productivity that will make you happier that will like um make you a better contributor 
Um, and you have to assume that no one wants to be evil uh, on purpose. No one wants to procrastinate on purpose. Like people generally want to do good work because doing good work and being productive is what makes us feel good. Um, you you know this on your like in your personal experience. You feel the happiest when you actually achieve something good and when you like deliver something and you you feel really proud of yourself versus when you spent two days just binge watching friends you felt like shit so you know and uh if you could have one tool what do you what do you think is missing on the market which would ease up more companies um work remotely i don't think i don't think tools are the problem i think we have all the tools that we need um even more sometimes like the the tools are almost getting in the way now um like like i mentioned slack briefly um it's more often i feel it's it's getting in the way than actually being um used for good um so it's it's not a question of tools is is a question of um culture team culture uh, organization and just uh, what do you want to achieve and how do you want to get there um it's it's more about changing the processes than it is of oh like oh if there is only going to be this magic new tool then everything will improve I, i think we have all the tools we need okay so more in going into coaching people mm-hmm. or like teaching people on how to build better process and be better managers or build better culture uh, is that what you try to say yeah yeah yeah, yeah definitely um, well, we come back to the to the beginning of uh, of our topic. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with it. Like, not everyone can be an engineer. Not everyone can be a manager. Oh, not like I I would be uh, a very shitty physical worker. Um, everyone has their own strengths, and uh, it's it's nothing bad if you don't have those specific ones. Just find <laughs> what your strengths are, and find a job that pays well, that fulfills you internally, and takes use of that strengths. Such a Zen moment now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As also, I've I've seen like you're a really big fan of uh, Stoicism. Um, are there any lessons uh, you got from Stoicism for leadership? Um, many. Um, I I I think in general, it improved me personally, like as as a person, and with that, I also improved as a as a manager. Um, there's just so much uh to to say but i don't know like um just being calm and assuming the best in people uh no one wants to be a bad actor on purpose everyone has their own reasons why why they're acting that way and trying to find out what those reasons are what the root causes are is much better use of of your time than just being mad at that person or like doing anything like that it's it's always better to approach it uh, in a way that you try to figure out what the actual reasons are mm-hmm. and apart from your uh, daily stoicist tweets is there any literature uh you would recommend yeah definitely uh a guide to the good life by william irvin i think that's uh an incredible book and even a good thing about it is that uh, at the end of it, um, you might, well, you can totally not turn into a stoic, but it will give you a very good 
idea that it's good to have some sort of philosophy of life. Like the the premise is that like it, you don't have to be a stoic, but you have to have something that makes you want to wake up in the morning. That that, that makes you have that, like some sort of life philosophy. Because otherwise, we're just wandering around and like with no end in sight, and we don't know when we're actually happy because we don't know what makes us happy. Um, so that that book um, is really really a great book. And then after that, it's just reading the old texts of Marcus Aurelius and uh, Epictetus and, and all of them. Those are like books and texts written over like 2,000 years ago, 2,400 years ago. And they, they are still applicable in the world we live in today, which is crazy. Like it's, it's absolutely crazy. You can't use a 10-year-old iPhone today, but you can read a 2,500-year-old book Um Yeah, it's amazing. I, I also have to say I uh, uh, had a luck to read mm -hmm. uh, Meditations from Marcus Aurelius. Yeah, it's really an, uh, an amazing read. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you can't imagine that even so long time ago, people uh, were yeah. thinking so strange. And, and it's crazy it's, that the uh, yeah. uh, actual <laughs> problems we have in society and with friends and with uh, all of that, that didn't change in 2,500 years. Like everything changed, but the problems they're having, it's completely the same that we do now. Like they, they've been dealing with breakups as well. They've been dealing with people cheating. They've been dealing with gossip, like exactly the same thing um, that we're dealing now. And uh, I don't know if that should make me happy or depressed, that like we're not progressing as a civilization at all. But uh, yeah, still uh, a really good, really good read. I think environment changes, yeah, and uh, tools changes. We also like really advance, but the human behavior, like the, let's say, uh, the primal human behavior yeah. is still the same after yeah, all these exactly. years. We haven't changed that much, which is uh, interesting to see. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. For for an end, I I wanted to ask you, um, what are the top three tools uh, you use for mm -hmm. productivity? Um, and uh, which are your basically top three favorite tools you use? And uh, yeah, yeah, um, you would explain. Like, why. like I said previously, it's not uh, about the tools, but they can certainly help. Um, one of the additions of late that I have grown to quite like is Quip. Um, it's a really good thing for like um, documentation and just have everything uh, all the processes written down everything that's happening in a company written down it has very very good way to collaborate uh, it looks really good it has nice typography it's very minimalistic um, there are like i have some problems with its <laughs> file structuring and all that but overall like i i really like the really like the tool um we um we have grown to like it pretty much everyone in, in the company um, because we were looking for something like that and we found, finally found something that works really well. Um, the other thing is uh, Zoom, um, which maybe we're not using that much in, in, in uh, this company. That, I mean, we are using it daily. We're not using it in the extent that we did at TopTal. I was always amazed how good Zoom is at handling like 150 plus people on a call, everyone on with video, like no other tool could even come close to this i mean google hang hangouts has like a limited 15 or whatever and even that like crashes chrome but this just works flawlessly i i was always just amazed at, at how good their 
backend infrastructure might uh, must must be. So yeah, um, it's an ugly tool. It's really the UX is really terrible. The settings are on seven different places. Um, there is a lot, a lot of things wrong with Zoom, uh, but the the core uh, engineering behind must be absolutely amazing. So um, I, I do like that. And I guess Slack, because I've mentioned it so much now, um, there, I have a lot of problems with Slack. Um, I, I think it solves, uh, well, it introduces more problems than it solves, but it's still um, a pretty good tool for communication and, and team and remote team. Miha, thanks so much for coming on the show. This has been great. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, it was it was uh, great talking with you and I'm really glad that you were uh, Inside Remote's first guest. Like I said, I'm very happy to be here and uh, very happy to be the first guest and I wish you good luck with the podcast. There you go. This was the first episode of Inside Remote. I hope you liked it. Since podcast is very fresh and new, it would mean a lot if you would share and spread the word about us. Also, ratings are very important and it would mean a world to me if you would rate this podcast in whichever app you're listening to this, since this will help us spread the word and enable more people to hear and see about this new show. Thanks a lot. Next time, we will have an interesting guest who is working on a new app which helps remote teams collaborate better. See you soon on Inside Remote. Mm-hmm.